Welcome to the Summit Your Health Show. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Sousley, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and this is the show where we talk about the most common health issues that people face today and give you natural and practical solutions to help you summit your health so you can summit your life. Thank you for joining me for another action-packed episode today. I hope you take value, take notes, and most importantly, take action. Hey everybody, Dr. Ryan Sousley, Summit Your Health Radio. Hey, today we've got a really good topic. It's actually the number one most requested topic from our radio listeners over the past couple of months. We're gonna talk about sleep. And it's amazing that with all the technology, all the supplements, all the information that we have in today's day and age, that people are getting worse sleep than ever before. In fact, statistically speaking, between 40 and 50% of Americans get poor to terrible sleep and a percentage of those people have it so bad that they have to take a medication like Ambien on a regular basis or use something like a CPAP machine. And I want to let you know that there are a lot of natural things that you can start doing to optimize your sleep. In fact, I've got many, many stories of patients over the last several years who've been able to get off of sleep medications, get rid of their CPAP machines, or if it wasn't that bad bad to begin with, they've just been able to start optimizing their sleep. And we know that this is important because sleep is when your body repairs. You know, sleep is when your body rejuvenates. Your body's like a race car, and if the race car never stops at the pit stop or it's not in the pit stop long enough, eventually the race car has problems. And that's what we're starting to starting to see as a society. In fact, so many of these things that we're seeing uh, manifest as chronic health problems can be directly related back to uh, consistently not getting enough or enough quality sleep. And, th- and this is crazy. So, li- so listen, you know, everyone wants better sleep. And listen, if you, even if you don't think that you want better sleep, I promise you, you'll benefit if you get better sleep. And so this is for everybody today, as many as 70 million Americans, this is crazy. As 70 million Americans have sleep disorders, one out of three people doesn't get adequate or don't get adequate sleep. You know, and that's defined by at least seven hours of quality sleep. And a lot of people think that they're getting, you know, eight hours or seven hours or maybe even nine hours because they're in bed for that amount of time. But just because you're in bed, you know, falling asleep to Netflix or falling asleep to your phone, scrolling social media, sleep is sleep. And you need a minimum of seven hours every single night. And here's what happens when you don't get that amount of sleep. You know, in the short term, we know that a lack of sleep can cause depressed feelings, lower cognitive function like memory issues or a decrease in critical thinking skills or thinking through concepts or problem solving. Obviously, if you don't get enough sleep, you could feel fatigued. We know that also short-term effects of poor sleep or not enough sleep include a weakened immune system. That's why typically people, you know, that are working towards a deadline or even students that are studying for finals or people that are getting ready for a big event and they're staying up later or they're pulling all-nighters, typically they get sick more often or they're more susceptible to getting sick. You know, this happens to a lot of people when they travel because of jet lag and so their sleep rhythm gets thrown off, same type of thing. And even weight gain, you know, even in the short term, not getting enough sleep throws off your circadian rhythm, which throws off your hormone balance and can even lead to weight gain. We know in the long run that if you consistently don't get enough sleep, number one, and this should probably matter more than anything else, they've been able to prove that that people that don't get adequate sleep over decades 
literally die sooner than people that get better sleep. And it's, it's regardless of all other lifestyle factors, you could eat poorly, you could not exercise, you could do all the things wrong compared to someone who does it all right, but they're not getting enough sleep. It's one of those non-negotiable things, right? And it's not just, you know, it used to be kind of a badge of honor, like, oh, I can, I can get away with only five hours of sleep or six hours of sleep and I'm super productive. Well, you might be able to get away with that for a little bit, but I promise you, you're not getting away with it forever. Long-term, we know that the negative outcomes of people that don't get enough sleep are things like high blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, stroke, and even obesity. And, you know, so I want to, I want to go through, cause I think if you just stop there for a second, you think about that list just in and of itself, high blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, stroke, obesity. I mean, that's like 90% of the population over 50 years old. You know what I mean? Think about yourself or your family or all the friends that you have or the people that you go to church with, like how many people between you and your family or the people that you do life with, how many of those people don't have one of the things I just listed off? high blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, stroke, obesity, all of these things, all of them are made worse when you don't get adequate sleep. So listen, everybody benefits from better sleep. And that does not mean that you got to stay in bed for nine or 10 hours. In fact, there's, there's actually a diminished return if you're in bed for too long, but seven to eight hours of quality, high impact sleep is what I call it. Uh, really high quality, efficient sleep is one of the best things that you could possibly do for your short-term and long-term health. So I want to get into some of these causes because this is where you can start taking action in order to optimize your sleep. And one of them, one of the, one of the big causes is inconsistent sleep schedules. So this is, you know, really common with people who are either entrepreneurs where their schedule isn't necessarily set every single day. You know, they don't work like a nine to five job or something like that. They have more control over their schedule. Um, that sounds like a great thing. And I personally think it is because that's kind of how my life operates. But at the same time, there's also a lot more responsibility to stick with a rhythm, you know, and this would also apply to people that are retired because when you retire, typically you're not on as rigid of a schedule, at least in the mornings and the evenings. And so even though you might have activities that you're committed to, typically your sleep schedule is a lot less rigid. And that can be a problem. If you're going to bed at a different time every night, you're waking up at a different time every morning, your circadian rhythm really loves patterns. And so ideally, if you can make yourself go to bed within 30 minutes of the same time every night and then make yourself wake up the next morning within 30 minutes uh, every morning, you're going to be in a, a lot better place. So just try to try to have a consistent sleep schedule. Now, if you're on vacation or you have people visiting or whatever, that's fine. If it's not the norm, it's not the norm, but if that's the norm, it's not a good thing. Okay, here's the second one. And this is kind of a touchy one because everybody loves their coffee and I'm right there with you. I mean, I, I don't have many vices and I wouldn't even say it's necessarily a vice, but this is one thing that I would really hate to give up and it's caffeine. So, here's what you need to know about caffeine. And then you can try to be smart and responsible about how you consume it. That's what I try to do. Okay. But here's what you need to know that the half-life of caffeine. So caffeine is obviously a stimulant. We all know that, but the half-life of caffeine is about five hours on average. And in some people that are slower metabolizers of caffeine, it can be nine hours. And so what that means is in a 12 ounce coffee, 
If you have a 12 ounce coffee at noon, there's about 150 to 180 milligrams of caffeine, which means if you were a slow metabolizer at 9 p.m., you'd still have 75 at minimum, 75 milligrams of caffeine in your system at 9 p.m. And that's the equivalent of a shot of espresso. So if you're trying to go to bed at 9 p.m. and you're like, man, I had my coffee at noon right after lunch. Why am I still wired? Why is it so hard to go to bed? You may be a slow metabolizer of metabolizer of caffeine. Now, there are some people on the other end of the spectrum that are fast metabolizers, and you might be the type of person that can drink coffee after dinner and have no problem going to bed. Personally, that's kind of how I roll. I don't really think it affects my sleep very much. Whereas my wife, if she has caffeine after, you know, one or two o'clock in the afternoon, she's up till midnight. So everybody's a little bit different, but if you have trouble sleeping, even if you think you're a fast metabolizer of caffeine, I would just recommend get rid of it for at least a couple of weeks and just see how you do. And obviously the first few days or so going to be a little rough. You're going to have some alternative symptoms that might not be the best, but eventually it's going to help your body just calm down. Right. And then you'll really know whether or not the caffeine was that big of a deal. So just get rid of it for a short time or start doing like a half decaf especially if you drink coffee midday. The next one kind of dovetails along with caffeine, another touchy one that don't, people don't love to talk about giving up, but it's alcohol. You know, alcohol, the reason why alcohol, especially right before bed, alcohol in and of itself is not necessarily bad for sleep unless you're drinking it right before bed, like within, within an hour of trying to go to sleep. The reason why alcohol interfe- interferes with sleep is because it interferes with melatonin production in your brain. And that's the hormone that your body, your brain produces to help you go to sleep, you know, and melatonin kind of builds up as the day goes on, you know, so it starts to ramp up about midday. And then by the time you go to sleep at night, your melatonin levels are highest. Well, when you drink alcohol, it interferes with the production and regulation of melatonin levels. And it can kind of undermine that whole process, which is why a lot of times And it's kind of counterintuitive because for a lot of people, they think that having a drink at the end of the day is what helps them relax and unwind. And it maybe even makes you feel like it's easier to fall asleep. And that may be true, but I promise you that even though it might be, it might feel easier to fall asleep, it interferes with your ability to stay asleep and then also get deep sleep. So it's not just about falling asleep. You know, falling asleep is one thing. The other thing though, is staying asleep and then making sure that you get deep sleep, you know, REM sleep. That's really where your body restores and rejuvenates. So my recommendation is again, and this, this applies if you have poor sleep, if you don't have poor sleep, maybe some of these things you do, maybe some of them you don't, you can pick and choose, but if you already have poor sleep, I recommend doing all of these to the best of your ability. And like I said, with alcohol, it's okay if you have some. Just try not to drink within about two hours of bedtime. If you could make it to three hours before bed, that's even better. But at the very minimum, don't drink alcohol within two hours of trying to go to sleep. Uh, Here's another one. And this is super common. I've, you know, I don't don't meet a whole lot of people in the world anymore that don't feel like they're stressed or have more stress now than they did in the past. But the thing is that stress is not necessarily bad, but chronic stress is bad. You know, stress is what makes muscles bigger. Stress is what makes you, you know, want to study hard to get good grades. Stress is the thing that forces you to become a better person when you're in a relationship. You know, all these things, stress is not bad, but chronic stress is very bad. And what stress does, and the reason why it affects your sleep is because stress triggers the fight or flight response 
or the sympathetic response in your nervous system, which directly impacts cortisol levels. And cortisol is your stress hormone. You've probably heard that before. And cortisol, cortisol is not a bad thing. Like a lot of people out there are talking about how cortisol is bad and we should do everything we can to get rid of cortisol. No, that's not true. Cortisol is really high in the mornings when you wake up and cortisol is what helps give your body energy and feel alert. But you don't want high cortisol levels in the evening when you're trying to wind down and go to bed. And so stress, just like if you were getting chased by a bear in the woods, you wouldn't feel like going to sleep. You'd feel like being as alive and alert as you possibly could be. That's because cortisol is coursing through your veins. But stress causes cortisol levels to go up. And so the problem is if you're stressed out and it's a consistent thing and you're not able to find a way to de-stress at the end, end of the day or leave work at work, um, you're going to have higher cortisol levels in the evening and it's going to be really hard to go to bed. It's going to interfere with the rest of your hormone balance and uh, it, it kind of works inversely with melatonin, right? So when the cortisol is really high, melatonin is typically pretty low and then vice versa. So things like journaling or taking a walk, you know, if you have the ability to utilize a sauna, sauna is really good for reducing stress, especially at the end of the day. Prayer and meditation in the afternoon or the evening can also be beneficial. Just anything that you need to do to unwind, you know, get your mind off of the stresses in the world. My personal favorite is gratitude because I think it's just about impossible to be in a state of anxiety or depression or stress and be grateful at the same time. And so what I do is I just have a, a small gratitude journal. I actually do this in the morning, but I feel like it carries me throughout the day. But for you, whatever whatever it needs to be, you've got to find a way to de-stress because if you don't, stress is going to increase cortisol levels, it's going to interfere with melatonin production and regulation, and it's going to affect either your ability to fall asleep or your ability to stay asleep and, and get great sleep. You know, this all reminds me of a patient that we had who came into the office about six years ago, and this guy's name was Jim. And... Uh, when Jim first came in the office, he was in upper, he was in his upper sixties and he'd been on a CPAP machine. So he was getting terrible sleep. You know, they were telling him that he couldn't, he wasn't breathing very well during the night. He would actually stop breathing every now and again. And so his wife was really worried about him and they had spent about $3,000 doing this sleep study all to figure this out. And then he had to take this CPAP machine home and he'd been using this thing for years and he felt like it was kind of working but it was a nuisance. And then anytime he would travel, he'd have to bring it and make sure that it was, you know, functional and all those different things. Plus, I mean, who wants to sleep with a machine on their face all night long? And so he came in and said, Hey, I don't know if there's anything you can do with my sleep issue, but I'd love to be able to not have to use the CPAP machine. And I said, well, Jim, what I tell everybody is, you know, I'm going to tell you the same thing as I tell everybody, we got to get to the cause, you know, the, the cause of why you're having this sleep problem is not because, you know, you weren't born with a CPAP machine on your face. I mean, that's obvious, but it's the same as people that have headaches. You know, the cause of your headaches is not because there's a lack of ibuprofen in your head. The cause of your high blood pressure is not a lack of lisinopril in your heart. There's always an underlying cause. And I said, I know this might kind of sound wild, but um, there is a chance that there could be an issue in your neck that's affecting the nerves that go to your lungs and your airways. And that's why you can't breathe because when you lay down and you sleep, your sleep posture put, could be exacerbating that structural issue. And that could be causing stress on the nerves and then impacting your, your body's ability to breathe and respirate. 
And so we took some x-rays and it was really interesting. We found that he had lost almost all the curve in his neck. And if you look at your curve or if you look at your neck from the side on an x-ray, you have to have a 45 degree arc. Neurologists actually call that curve the arc of life. And it's because it's so close to your brain. It's the most important part of your spine neurologically. But interestingly enough, the nerves in your neck also control things like blood pressure and respiration and breathing, a large percentage of your immune system, um, along with obvious things like the muscles in your neck and the nerves down your arms. And so what I told him is I said, hey, listen, you know, at some point in your life, you you may have had an injury or an accident that caused this curve to diminish or got rid of this curve, right? Maybe it was a whiplash accident. Maybe it was a horseback riding thing. Maybe it was sports. And he goes, well, yeah, actually I played football, you know, growing up and I was a lineman. And so I was hitting people with my head all the time. And, you know, I've kind of had off and on dull neck issues, dull, dull neck pain issues, you know, pretty much my whole life, but it was never really that big a deal. And I said, well, listen, I can't tell you for sure if that was what initiated all this, but that would make sense. And I said, the bottom line is it is what it is. And I think that if we restore the curve in your neck, it's going to give your body a good chance to heal and recover. And he, you know, naturally was a little skeptical because here's this chiropractor who's telling you that if you fix the curve in your neck, you might be able to get off your CPAP machine. And I, so I told him what I tell everybody, you know, there's no guarantees. And my job is not to treat your sleep apnea. My job is not to uh, get you off your, you know, to heal your body, to get you off of the CPAP machine. My job is to help your body heal and function normally from within, like it was created to do. You know, you cut your finger and that cut heals. Your body has this healing ability where it can heal itself. The question is, if a cut on your finger can heal, then why isn't your respiration healing, your sleep healing? Why aren't your, um, why isn't your neck pain healing or your headaches? And the answer to all of those questions is because there's an interference. And so if we can find and remove the interference and restore the body's natural structure, we also help restore the body's natural function. And so we put Jim on a corrective care plan. Long story short, we put him on a corrective care plan over the course of about three months. We restored the curve in his neck about 50%. And the guy was almost 70. So of course, 100% correction is probably not reasonable, but it was still really impressive amount of correction. And so after three months, we took an x-ray to measure the progress and he was actually able to get off of his CPAP machine. And now, you know, am I saying that every single person out there that's on a CPAP just needs to get adjusted or correct the curve in their neck? Not necessarily, but it is an interesting thing to think about. And the question is, how do you know? You know, if you have a sleep issue and you're listening to this, how do you know whether or not that sleep issue could potentially be coming from an issue in your neck? And the answer is to do testing. You know, just like it's the same way you know whether or not you tore your ACL, you have the doctor order an MRI and you look at the imaging to know whether or not for sure that's the issue because if it's not, you go a different direction. We'll be right back. Hello, my name is Donna. I heard Dr. Sousley's radio program and everything he said made sense. It's what I was looking for years ago, but didn't find. I hurt my leg somehow, either from not exercising or it was an injury. So I actually was a bit disabled. I couldn't walk right, my gait was off. Um, it upset other parts, all my muscles were in pain. I was taking a lot of ibuprofen and Tylenol. So I was pretty excited to uh, come in for my initial consultation. 
with the x-rays and all that. They set up a four-month program for me, was based on my needs, and it's been just an absolute wonderful experience. I had a lot of terrible tension headaches, and in six months, uh, I've only had a couple of those headaches. I'd say my leg is about 90, 95% better. And previous to hearing Dr. Sousley on the radio, I'd also slipped and fallen really hard on ice. And I had some terrible pain, the muscles around my shoulder blades, um, and that is also um, completely gone. So I'm continuing with my maintenance and I look forward to coming in and it's just been wonderful. Hey, welcome back to the show. Dr. Ryan Sousley, Summit Your Health Radio. Hey, today we're talking all, all about sleep. You know, I, I've asked several people over the last couple of months, people that I know that listen to the show or that have come in as new patients, and I've asked them, what's the number one thing that you wanna learn about? What's the number one thing that you'd like to see improve with your lifestyle? You know, the thing you have questions about, and it's sleep, and it makes sense because statistically speaking, one out of three Americans gets poor sleep. And it's almost 50% of a people, 50% of people in America don't get enough sleep. And obviously if it gets bad enough, you know, people end up on things like Ambien, or if it gets really bad, you could end up on a CPAP machine or having to use some kind of sleep device or sleep aid. And the reality is that it doesn't have to be that way. You know, in, in my experience, when people address these lifestyle factors that we're going through today, you have the ability to optimize your sleep in a massive way. I mean, I've had so many patients that I've worked with over the years be able to either get off their CPAP machines or get off of the sleep medication or just get better sleep in general. You know, maybe you're listening to this and you're like, well, I'm not on a sleep medication. I'm not on a CPAP, but I, I would like to get better sleep. You know, I, I get restless sleep or I'm a light sleeper or I just don't feel rested the next day. And what I'm here to tell you is that if you implement the things that we're talking about today, I can guarantee you, you're going to get better sleep. And this is important because your body rejuvenates and recovers and repairs while it's asleep. It's like your body's a race car. And just like a race car has to stop at the pit stop every, you know, certain number of laps. Otherwise the car has problems. Your body's the exact same way. And most people aren't stopping enough or they're not staying long enough. And that's what happens to our body too. So the three, the four things that we talked about in the first segment that you can start doing right away, just to recap before we move on, get a consistent sleep schedule, go to bed within the same, within 30 minutes of the same time every night, wake up within 30 minutes of the same time every morning, get on a rhythm. If it's, if you're off rhythm, it's going to be really hard for your circadian rhythm to set. And then you're, you're just not going to get great or consistent sleep. Number two is caffeine. Try not to consume caffeine in the afternoon. The half-life of caffeine is a lot longer than people think. And so people are trying to go to bed while they still have this stimulant coursing through their veins. It's not great. Uh, alcohol was the third one. Try not to consume alcohol between, you know, one to two hours before bed because alcohol interferes with melatonin production, the hormone that your, your brain uh, relies on to feel sleepy and start to shut things down. And then stress. And I know this is, this is probably not the easiest thing to do is just to get rid of stress in your life. But if you can find ways to de-stress towards the end of the day, um, makes a big difference because, because stress causes the fight or flight response in our body, also known as the sympathetic response, which um, impacts the amount of cortisol that we have in our body. And so when you're stressed, cortisol levels go up. It's your stress hormone and cortisol levels are inversely related to 
melatonin levels. So the more cortisol you have, the less melatonin. So at the end of the day, you want the opposite. You want very little cortisol in your body. You want as much melatonin as necessary and stress throws that balance off. So things like journaling or praying or med meditating at the end of the day can make a huge, huge difference. Okay. Here's some more things that you can start doing right now to help you optimize your sleep. Number one is get rid of the technology. And I'll tell you personally, this one's really hard. You know, I, I do a lot of my work from my phone or on my computer. And just like everybody else, me and my family like to watch a movie or watch a little TV before we go to bed. You know, I watch a lot of sports. And so it's not easy to get rid of the technology right before bed. But I promise you, reducing the amount of technology and even the amount of light, like artificial light that your eyes are exposed to right before bed makes a huge difference. And the reason why is, you know, too much brain stimulation can make it harder to wind down just neurologically. You know, if your brain, if your brain's thinking about all the things that you got to get done or your brain's trying to process the action movie that you just watched, you know, and then you're trying to go to bed, just a lot of stimulation can make it hard for your brain to wind down. So obviously if you can reduce that, your brain's going to have an easier time uh, going to sleep. You know, social media and reading emails, in my opinion, are less, you know, of a stimulant and more of a stressor. And that's person to person. Some people it doesn't really affect. But I think for a lot of people out there, being on social media, reading emails, just being on your phone induces stress. And then for some, and for some people can even lead to anxiousness. So try to get rid of that stuff at least an hour or two before bed. And then the thing with the lights is, you know, artificial light typically has quite a bit of blue light in it. And the neat thing is that they're making these smart light bulbs now that you can either dim or change the brightness throughout the day. You can also get glasses that block blue light, which I highly recommend if you have to be on some kind of technology, you know, right before bed. But blue light uh, kind of tricks your brain into thinking that it's light outside and that inhibits melatonin production again. So I would try turning off all devices at least an hour before bed. And again, this is for people that have a, a, a bad sleep problem. Like if you don't fall asleep easy or you don't stay asleep easy or you're not getting restful sleep, you know, these are things that you got to do. So even though they may be uncomfortable, they may be inconvenient, you got to do something. And I would recommend doing all of it, even if it's just for a half an hour, start small, go from there. But technology can make a big difference. The next one is food. And, you know, if you're, if you're a high level athlete and you're doing really rigorous exercise first thing in the morning, there might be some benefit to eating right before bed for the rest of you or us. That's not the case for the rest of us eating right before bed pretty much has no health benefit whatsoever, but has lots of potential health detriment. And it's because eating causes the release of insulin. So insulin is the hormone that your body produces to help shuttle, shuttle food into the cells or, or more specifically glucose out of the blood and into the cells for energy. And it basically helps your body use food for energy. Well, if you eat right before bed, you're basically signaling to your body that you have all this energy that you just consume. Now we got to do something with it. And this can throw off your circadian rhythm, you know, because a lot of people don't, you, you eat for fuel. And so if you eat and you fuel up your body, you don't, you don't necessarily need to go to bed. Or when you go to bed, I guess I got a better way of saying it is when you go to bed, you don't need to eat to have energy to go to sleep. You know what I mean? And so eating right before bed, although it might comfort you and it might feel like you're de-stressing by eating stress-relieving foods, whatever, 
it's just not good for you. You know, the other reason why eating right before bed isn't necessarily the best thing is because metabolizing food requires energy in and of itself. So when you eat food, you know, especially uh, we just had Thanksgiving, right? And many of us felt really, really tired. And it's not just the tryptophan from the turkey. If you eat a lot of food, why do you feel groggy? Well, because your body has to allocate resources to digest that food. And if your body's allocating those resources to, dig to, to digest food while you're asleep, it's not allocating those resources to the things that you're supposed to be doing while you're sleeping, which is recovering and repairing. And that's why a lot of times if people eat right before bed, they wake up the next morning feeling like they didn't get very much sleep or they didn't get very good sleep, even if they were in bed for like eight or nine hours. And it's because you might've been asleep, but your body wasn't actually doing what, what it was supposed to do. It was too busy digesting food and it wasn't busy enough recovering and repairing. So my recommendation is, Try, not, try to stop eating at least two hours before you go to bed, right? You should be going to bed just a little bit hungry. And I promise you're not going to starve to death. You got plenty in reserves. If you go to bed just a little bit hungry, I promise you get a lot better sleep. The next one is chronic pain. And, you know, for obvious reasons, if you're in a bunch of pain, it can make it hard to get comfortable when you go to bed at night. And so for a lot of people that have, you know, some kind of issue, like maybe it's back pain or neck pain or headaches, or uh, maybe even something neurological like numbness and tingling in their arms or their legs, like sciatica, you know, for some people it doesn't manifest until you're actually asleep and it turns into something like restless leg syndrome. But if you have chronic pain, it's really hard to get to sleep. It's also for some people, it's not a matter of getting to sleep, but it's after all the tissues and all the circulation in your body's kind of slowed down a little bit and the tissues and the joints have kind of stopped moving. All of a sudden you start to feel like the tin man and all those aches and pains kind of come alive while you're sleeping because you're not moving your body. And I hear this all the time from people. In fact, it's one of the questions I ask in order to determine, you know, kind of which direction we're trying to head in terms of diagnosing an issue. But if you have more pain in the morning and then once you get moving, it feels better, typically that's an arthritis problem or a degeneration problem. If you feel uh, better in the morning and then as you start to use and move your body, things get worse, well, typically that's either a neurological issue or a soft tissue issue, you know, like a ligament or a tendon or a muscle problem, because if you're using it and it's injured or it's there's a problem, you're going to make it mad, right? Whereas Degeneration and arthritis aren't necessarily an injury, but they are, um, you know, they are prone to inflammation and they, they do better with circulation. And that's why movement typically makes arthritis or degener degeneration feel better. And that's why a lot of people, once they stop moving, it hurts worse. So this is really common, you know, in people that have back or neck issues because your sleep posture either makes them better or worse. And it also affects people, like I said, with neurological issues in their extremities, like sciatica or numbness and tingling in their arms or even restless leg syndrome. And, you know, this reminds me of a story of this woman that came in as a new patient a couple of years ago. Her name was Rebecca and she was in her fifties and she had worked her whole life at a bank handling money on a computer or handling money or working on a, on a computer. And so she came in with neck pain and she also had headaches and she also thought she had, she had carpal tunnel in her right hand. And she, you know, she thought because I use my right hand to write and I use my mouse with her, my right hand, I'm typically counting money with my right hand, you know, it just makes sense. 
And um, when it would get bad enough, she'd tell me she would take an ibuprofen or a muscle relaxer. And then and every once in a while, she felt like she would have to take a Vicodin, which is actually a pretty heavy duty prescription narcotic painkiller. And she goes, you know, I, I really don't like taking the medication, but when it's bad, it's really bad. You know, not only does it affect my ability to do my job because I have to work a mouse and I have to count money and I have to be precise and there's a lot of dexterity and fine motor movements involved, but I've found that it, it really impacts my sleep. And that was her main motivation, you know, and for her, when she would only get four to five hours of decent sleep per night because she was in so much pain, she said, obviously it affected her ability to, to do her job. But the thing that was killing her is that it was ruining her weekends. You know, she felt like she had to spend all weekend catching up on sleep or she was just in so much pain that she just wanted to sit on the couch and watch TV or do nothing. And so it was interfering with her social life and family life and all those different things. And she goes, I just, you know, I'm tired of, tired of being this way. I don't want to live on drugs, but I got to do something. And, you know, we took some x-rays and that's what we do with everybody is we take x-rays so that we can figure out what the cause is. And we found that she had a major subluxation or misalignment in her neck that was causing pressure on the nerves coming down her right arm. And so if you look at a, an x-ray of a spine from front to back, you know, you don't have to be a chiropractor or an orthopedist to know this, but your spine has to be straight, right? Balance and symmetry are things that our body needs to function optimally, right? Like you can't have a shoulder that's higher than the other one. You can't have uh, a head tilt or you can't have hips that are unlevel. You can't have one foot that flares out and the other one that goes straight, you know, balance and symmetry allow us to function optimally, you know, biomechanically, but also neurologically. And so when you're looking at an x-ray from front to back, obviously your spine has to be straight. Well, when we looked at her neck and upper back x-ray, it's called a cervical thoracic x-ray where we can see the the neck and the upper back and the shoulders all at once. We saw a major subluxation or misalignment that looked like it was curving. So instead of a straight line up and down, it was more like a C-shaped curve and the apex of the C was like right where her neck met her upper back, like where the cervical spine meets the thoracic spine. It's called the CT junction. And what's interesting about that is the nerves that come out of that part of the spine make up what's called the brachial plexus. And the brachial plexus is a network of nerves. It's a bunch of different nerve roots that eventually travel out and innervate the upper extremities. And the curvature was the exact direction that she said she had assumed the posture for, for the last like 30 years, you know? So she, she was right-handed. And so her neck and her head were just slightly cocked to the right, but for like hours a day, you know I mean? Think about that, like six to eight hours a day, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, I mean, decades of doing this. And what happens is the body will eventually morph into or mold into the position that you put it in most. Let me say that again, because this is, this is really important. As a chiropractor, I try, <laughs> I try to beat this into my patients, not really, but your body will mold into the position that you put it in most. What does that mean? Well, if you sit at a desk and you're hunched forward, you know, hour after hour, day after day, year after year, all that, you know, that's, that's going to become your permanent posture. And that's why you see a lot of older people that they literally can't stand up straight. That is not because you got old. Let me be clear about that. Getting older does not mean that your posture is going to suck. That's not how that works. There's a lot of people in their eighties, nineties, or even over a hundred that have perfect posture and they're still out there doing all the things they want to do because posture is directly related to function, which is a topic for another time, but it is. 
but your posture will mold to the position of your, of, that you put your spine in either intentionally or not over time. And so for her, it made perfect sense. She was slightly cocking her head to the side because she was using the mouse. She was counting money. She was writing on paper. She was uh, working on the computer. And so that became her permanent spine position. Why that's important is a lot of people look at that and they'll go, oh, I just need to stand up straighter. I just need to stand there with my right shoulder a little higher to take that curve. Well, good luck with that. You know, you can only do that consciously for so many seconds or minutes before you have to actually go back to your life. And then your body reverts back to its normal, you know, or what it thinks is its normal position. And so we looked at the x-ray and I said, Rebecca, that's, that's your problem. It's right there. And she goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, that curvature is putting pressure on the nerve roots that make up the brachial plexus. The brachial plexus goes down your arm all the way into your hands. And those nerves also, you know, so I said, that's what's causing the numbness and tingling in your hand. It's not carpal tunnel. It's the subluxation in your spine. Those nerves also innervate the muscles in your neck, which is why your neck hurts all the time. And the muscles always feel like they're spasmed or they're really tight because your body's trying to uh, compensate for this curvature in your neck. And because of those tight muscles, that's why you get headaches. You get these tension headaches all the time because the muscles in your neck are connected to the muscles in your scalp and your skull. And so I said, listen, obviously the, the, the way to get your body to heal is to correct this curvature, right? Because there's no amount of muscle relaxers that's going to fix that. There's no amount of massage that's going to fix that, fix that or acupuncture or Vicodin. And the only way that your body's going to heal is to fix that lateral curve in your neck. And so I put her on a corrective care plan and little by little, she started getting better. And it was really interesting because at the beginning, you know, after just a few adjustments, her neck pain and her headaches almost went away completely. And about a month and a half after she started her corrective care plan, her numbness and tingling in her hands, what, you know, what she thought was carpal tunnel was completely gone. And typically people think that when their pain's gone, they're healed. But just like if you tore your ACL and the pain were to go away a couple weeks later, that doesn't mean that your body's healed. You know, the rehab process typically takes several months, even though you might not be in pain anymore. And that's the biggest thing that I have to battle with people, you know, coming in for corrective chiropractic care is most of the time people's symptoms go away within a couple of weeks or a month or two, you know, and sometimes even faster than that. But it's almost a bad thing, you know, because if it's out of sight, it's out of mind, no pain, you're not worried about it. You're not committed to doing something, you know, whatever it takes to fix it. And so, you know, that we had that conversation. I said, listen, I know you feel a lot better but we still have work to do. You know, we still have to stabilize and strengthen your spine so that we can correct the structure. So this problem doesn't come back. Cause that's the thing. If you get a couple of adjustment, your adjustments and your pain goes away, but you don't actually fix the underlying structural issue. It's only a matter of time before the, the issue comes back because you didn't actually fix it. You just treated the symptoms with chiropractic. Right. And you know, so she stuck with it about four months after she initially started care. We took a progress x-ray and her neck was about 90% better structurally. And so she, she graduated into more of a maintenance routine where she was just coming in every once in a while for tune-ups. And to this day, you know, this was, uh, I guess, two or three years ago. To this day, she doesn't have any carpal tunnel symptoms, even though she still works at the bank. She still does the job she's always done for 30 plus years, but she has no more neck pain. She has no more headaches. She has no more carp carpal tunnel symptoms. And it's because we were able to find and correct the cause of the problem. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Hello, my name is Dale. 
Almost eight years ago, I started coming to see Dr. Ryan Sousley at his clinic. I was on asthma medication, heartburn medication. I was taking triple flex for joint pain, and uh, I just I needed to do something. I like what uh, Dr. Ryan has said that genes uh, load the gun, but your lifestyle pulls the trigger. I have dropped 50 pounds and maintained that weight. I'm doing it by just doing the things that uh, Dr. Ryan encourages me and the, the whole team there encourages me to do on a, on a daily basis. Today we've been talking all about sleep and it's one of the, one of the hottest topics in health and wellness. You know, I asked a bunch of people what the number one thing was that they want to learn about or optimize with their lifestyle. And it was almost unanimous. It was sleep. And so I, I took a bunch of time today going through some very specific action steps that you can take to optimize your sleep. And I just want to remind you that this is, I think, a lot more important than people think because your body repairs and recovers while you're asleep. And statistically speaking, one out of three people don't get anywhere near the type or the quantity of, the, of sleep that they really need to function optimally. And we know that Poor sleep leads to things like depressed feelings, lower cognitive function, fatigue, a weakened immune system, weight gain. And if it's left uncorrected and it remains a chronic issue, like if you go years or decades not getting enough sleep or not getting great sleep, it can actually cause things like high blood pressure or heart disease or diabetes or stroke or even obesity. And so the action steps that we talked about today, I just want to recap real quick. So if you missed the beginning, I want to give you a rapid fire action steps. Number one, set a, set a consistent sleep, sleep schedule. Try to go to sleep within the same 30 minute time window every night, and then wake up within the within the same 30 minute time window in the morning. When you're on a consistent sleep schedule, your, your body's circadian rhythm has a chance to set in and go to work for you. It'll become a lot easier, just like anything else that you do. Any other routine that you set up in your life, if you set up a routine for sleep, it's gonna be a lot easier to execute. Execute Number two was caffeine. Cut the coffee after lunch. You know, coffee has a shelf life of between five and nine hours. And so for people that are slow caffeine metabolizers, a lot of times you're trying to go to bed with the equivalent of a shot of espresso in your bloodstream still. And you wonder why you can't fall asleep or why you're not getting great sleep. You just might need to cut the, cut the caffeine at least after lunch. The next one was alcohol. And for a similar reason, just different mechanism, when you consume alcohol right before bed, it interferes with your brain's ability to produce um, melatonin. And so melatonin's the the hormone that your brain produces in order to help you go to sleep, right? Melatonin naturally builds up throughout the day so that its levels are highest right before bed. And when you drink alcohol, it interferes with that process. A lot of times it feels like it's easier to go to bed after a drink or two, but oftentimes it leads to restless or really terrible sleep. So just cut the alcohol within two hours before bed and you'll be a lot better off. The second, the next one was stress. And this is a tough one because everyone's stressed. There's no such thing as eliminating stress altogether from your life. But if you can practice gratitude or do things that help you de-stress in the evening, like maybe go for a walk or jump in the sauna if you have that ability, or a hot tub if you have one of those, um, or even just journaling, you know, praying and meditating, or or thinking of the things that you're grateful for. You know, these things can help 
reduce the negative effects of chronic stress. Chronic stress increases cortisol levels in our body, which also interfere with our body's melatonin levels. So practicing gratitude or doing something to de-stress at the end of the day makes a big difference. The next one was try to try to turn off all the technology and as many lights as possible, you know, at least an hour before bed because TV stimulates the brain that makes it harder to wind down. Social media, emails, being on your phone oftentimes induces stress or causes anxiety or anxiousness. And even just the light from all these devices or even just the light bulbs in your house, most of them contain high levels of blue light, which tell your brain that it's light outside, which kind of trick your brain into you know, reducing melatonin levels or thinking it's light so it doesn't want to go to sleep. Next one was food. You know, if you can stop eating about two hours before you go to bed, it makes a big difference between, uh, because when you eat, your body has to produce insulin. Insulin is the hormone that takes food and puts it into the cells and basically helps your body turn, turn food into energy. Well, if your body's doing that, it's not trying to go to sleep or it makes it a lot harder. It also has the potential to affect melatonin levels again. There's a, there's a theme here, if you hadn't noticed, that we wanna do everything we can to not interfere with melatonin levels. And then the last one was chronic pain. You know, and this one's obvious, if you're trying to go to bed and you're in a bunch of pain and it's hard to fall asleep or it's hard to sl stay asleep because every movement hurts or there are a lot of positions that cause the pain to get worse, you know, obviously you're, you're not gonna get great sleep. And that's, you know, one of the biggest things that I do as a chiropractor, as I help people reduce or eliminate their pain, and it's not just for the sake of getting rid of the pain, but I know that if someone has less pain, they're gonna sleep better. If they sleep better, their body's gonna recover and repair better. If they recover and repair better, they're also gonna be able to either prevent or overcome other issues, like blood pressure issues or diabetes or breathing problems or immune system issues. And it's not that the chiropractic adjustment fixes all those things, but the chiropractic adjustment does help reduce stress, it does help reduce inflammation, it does help reduce and eliminate uh, most people's pain issues, which helps you sleep better. In fact, you know that's probably the number one most common response that I get from people after their first adjustment. So when you come in as a new patient, you know step number one is obviously figuring out what's causing the problem, and that's why we do x-rays, that's why we do infrared nerve scans, and all the other things that we do. But the second visit is all about going over the, the, the cause of the problem. And then most people, you know, they're there because they want to get better. And so we start with the first adjustment. And I text people usually that night just to ask them how they're doing. And the most common response I get the next day, at least, is, man, I got a wonderful night's sleep. And again, it's not, there's no magic behind getting adjusted that helps you sleep better. But what it does, it helps increase range of motion. It does help reduce the stress hormone cortisol in your body. It does help you reduce pain. And so all of those things contribute to a better night's sleep. The moral of the story is focus on your sleep. Do these things, focus on your sleep, take action. And maybe for you, it's one by one, or you're the type of person that wants to jump all in and do them all at once. There's no right or wrong, but like I always say, you know, it's not information that changes people. It's information plus application that creates the transformation. So I hope this was helpful today. I hope you take action. We'll see you next week.